So the reading is John chapter 20, verse 24 to 31. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thanks, Hannah, very much. Um, let me add my welcome to Claire. It's great to, uh, great to see everyone this afternoon. And why don't, I, why don't I pray before we begin to look at this wonderful passage. Heavenly Father, as we reflect on this amazing encounter between the risen Lord Jesus and Thomas 2,000 years ago, please help us today to believe in this same risen Lord Jesus and, and thereby to have life in his name. Amen. So today we, we are at the uh, we're at the end of our um, series of uh, encounters with uh, Jesus uh, that we've had in uh, John's Gospel, and uh, we, we've seen over these past few weeks that um, Jesus promises to fulfil our greatest needs in life, to give us lasting joy and uh, meaning in this life, to restore us to relationship with the God who made us and to give us hope, real hope in the face of death. And so I just wonder where it leaves us all at the, at the end of this series, um, perhaps in different kind of places where we're in terms of how we're thinking about Christ. It, it may be that perhaps you're intrigued and attracted to Jesus and, and you're thinking, well, it all sounds wonderful, but is it really true? How can I believe that Jesus can actually deliver on all these great sounding promises? Uh, or it might be, uh, if you're already a follower of Christ, perhaps the, the general events of the last year uh, or your current personal experience mean that these, these promises that Jesus makes to different people in John's Gospel still feel a bit, bit grey to you right now rather than kind of full glorious technicolour. Well, if either of those descriptions describe you this afternoon, then I, I hope that this encounter with Thomas will be of particular relevance to you. But for all of us, uh, I think there are two vital things that Jesus says here in this passage uh, to enable us to believe in him and to enjoy the blessings, the great blessings of believing in him. And so the first thing I think is the, the reality of the risen Christ, the reality of the risen Christ. And um, in these final three chapters of John's Gospel, uh, 19, 20 and 21, 
they are full of the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and John focuses on three key pieces of evidence uh, in these chapters. First, that he really died in chapter 19. It was a very public execution at the hands of the Roman uh, professionals. Uh, second, that three days later, the tomb in which he was laid was actually empty and that it was a public fact and the dead body of Jesus was never produced by the Roman or the Jewish authorities. And the third piece of evidence is that he appeared to multiple eyewitnesses at different times and in different places. And it's that third section of evidence that we're looking at this afternoon, his appearance to eyewitnesses. And uh, I'd never noticed this about this, um, this passage before until looking again at it recently, but John uses the word for seeing the resurrected Jesus uh, and his empty tomb 30, 13 times in chapter 20. Uh, it, it crops up a few times in the passage that we've just seen, but like earlier in chapter 20 as well, uh, it keeps being repeated, see, saw. Um, he's really wanting to, us to be in, in no doubt that the apostles actually saw the risen Christ with their own eyes. And I think that also explains why John shines such a spotlight on first the scepticism of Thomas and then and then the exuberant belief of Thomas. He really wants us to see the importance of um, of seeing the risen Jesus, because Thomas gets to see the risen Jesus, too. Uh, but he does. He, he gets to see him after making quite a scene about it. And. I think Thomas is exactly the kind of eyewitness that we all want representing us. He's that stubborn skeptic who, in, who insists on checking out all the evidence thoroughly. And earlier in chapter 20, uh, John records that um, a group of the disciples saw the uh, resurrected Jesus on the first Sunday after he died. But in verse 24 of our passage, we discover that for some reason, Thomas wasn't in that first group who saw uh, the risen Jesus. We don't know why. Um, maybe he was late. Maybe he was up to some Sunday night activities at home, doing his washing, ironing his shirts, perhaps. But I just imagine how, how cross you would be when you realised that you just missed out on the greatest moment of history because you were tidying your sock drawer on a Sunday night. Anyway, whatever his reason for not being there, he's adamant that he's not going to believe in the resurrection of Jesus without physical evidence. So verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then eight days later in the verses 26 and 27, Jesus appears to them all again in a locked room. And this is exactly the evidence that Jesus then offers to Thomas. And Thomas is clearly so overwhelmed by the physical presence of Jesus in verse 28 that, that seeing is quite enough for him. And he blurts out, my, my Lord and my God. And it's, it's actually the clearest and boldest recognition by anyone uh, in the Gospels of Jesus as God. And he's, he's come from being quite a sceptic a moment ago. 
who is resolutely saying, I'm not believing without physical evidence. And then there and then our cool headed skeptic has been overwhelmed by the evidence that's standing right in front of him. So John emphasizes the disciples seeing the risen Jesus throughout chapter 20 and being convinced. And particularly he focuses on Thomas, the stubborn skeptic, seeing the risen Jesus and being utterly transformed. And I think John does this with one simple aim in mind. He wants us to be able to believe in the risen Christ too, because we have eyewitness evidence of them seeing Jesus recorded for us. So just um, flick your eyes ahead to um, verses 30 and 31, because here it's here that John gives his uh, summary purpose for why he's written the whole gospel. Verse 30, to paraphrase, Jesus did many other signs that I haven't recorded in this gospel, but I've recorded, verse 31, I've recorded these signs, preeminent amongst them the resurrection, so that you might believe. So do you see that John and the gospel writers present us with eyewitness evidence about the resurrected Christ so that we might believe in him? He's not asking us to just to sort of screw up our eyes and sort of hope for the best. We're being presented with evidence and they're reliable eyewitnesses because it's a fact of history that these disciple eyewitnesses all denied or abandoned Jesus at his death. They weren't expecting or even hoping that Jesus was going to be raised from the dead. They'd, they'd given up by that stage. And yet within a few days, they were totally transformed into people who were convinced that Jesus was risen from the dead and they were risking everything to go around telling everybody about it. And, and in fact, most of them ended up dying as martyrs for their belief in the risen Christ in the, in the decades that followed. Now, what else can explain this extraordinary transformation of Thomas and all the other disciples? John's evidence is reliable evidence. And also it's written down within the lifetime of these eyewitnesses. In the early days, weeks, months and years of the church, the, the belief in the resurrected Jesus could have been stopped at any moment by the production of his dead body or, or by the disciples' witness being found out not to be consistent or, or credible. You know, they would have come under immense pressure, this little band of people from the authorities. But it, it, it never happened. And actually, have you ever stopped to think how many other religious movements there must have been in history where a, you know, a little group of people claim their founder to be God and to be alive forever? but we don't hear about them, do we? And that's because there's, there's no evidence for their claims that they were never actually able to get started and get the movement off the ground because there wasn't evidence. You know, they, they sort of, they, they died in the, before they got started. And not only are these uh, accounts that we've got here based on reliable eyewitness evidence written down in those first few decades, but we can also know for us lot, sitting here 2000 years later, we can know that they've been reliably handed down to us over the centuries as well and not corrupted in the meantime. And that's simply because we've got tens of thousands of manuscripts that stretch from very soon after uh, the time of Christ, right the way through to the invention of the printing press in the, in the 15th century. 
copies and copies and copies and copies that can be cross-checked and we can see that they've, they've come down reliably uh, to us and transmitted accurately. So the Christian faith doesn't require you to stop thinking, hold your nose and try really hard to believe in all the evidence, um, you know, despite all the evidence to the contrary or just, you know, despite having no evidence. It's, it's quite the opposite. Do you see John here in verse 31 is inviting everyone to come and have a look at the evidence and decide for themselves. So for, for us this Easter, why don't we why don't we read afresh these accounts of the death and the resurrection of Christ in the four Gospels? Or perhaps if you'd like to read a short book on the evidence for the resurrection that brings all the different strands of evidence for the resurrection together, I'd certainly recommend this one, if you can see it, The Case for Easter by Lee Strobel. Really great little book. Um, let us know if you um, forget. Um, email one of us afterwards and we'll get hold of a copy for you. Um, but, but perhaps for, for some of us, we've been believing in Christ for a long time, but we're going through a, a period of doubt, perhaps, and we're feeling pretty dry in our faith and, and, and thinking to ourselves, well, you know, if only I could have been there like Thomas and the disciples, I would have seen Jesus in person and, and then I would have all that I need to believe in him. But to us, do, do you see what Jesus says in that in the second half of verse 29? He, he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So Jesus clearly thinks that by the time he's finished appearing to his disciples and, and many others at multiple locations and times, people will be able to believe in him without seeing him. And John thinks this too, and that's why he's recorded this eyewitness evidence in his gospel. So again, I, I wonder for all of us, when was the last time that we set, set aside time to immerse ourselves in the gospel accounts of the life, death and resurrection of Christ? that have been reliably recorded for us. Perhaps we can set aside some time this Easter to read one of these accounts or perhaps read, perhaps read all four alongside each other and, and ask, ask God in prayer to show us afresh the reality of the risen Christ and the blessing of believing in him, because that's the promise here. So let's, let's, take, let's take him at his word and ask him to show us that blessing afresh. So that's the first thing that Jesus and John say to the doubtful here in this passage the reality of the risen Christ. And secondly, much more briefly, just um, as we close, let's, let's reflect on the life of the risen Christ, the life of the risen Christ. And it, it, it comes at the, at the end of verse 31, where uh, John says that by believing in Christ, we may have life in his name. And from the very beginning of John's gospel and right the way through, the mission of Jesus has been very clear. He's come to bring life. And the main definition of that life in John's gospel is that it's eternal life. It's life that starts now, but it's life that goes on forever. Now, surely life beyond death with an end to pain and suffering and death itself is, is the thing we most long for, isn't it? And today in particular, as, as, we, uh, as we're mourning together as a country for all those who've lost their lives in the pandemic of the last year, 
we're, we're more acutely aware than ever of the awful reality of death. Everything inside us cries out that death is an alien intruder to our world. Something deep inside us expects that our loving relationships should, should go on forever. But not only that, our, our desires for meaning, for lasting fulfillment, for joy that can't find satisfaction in this life, all point to the fact that we were made for more than this life. C.S. Lewis, the writer, um, wrote this in uh, one of his books. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And do you see the resurrection of Christ proves that this deepest desire that we have in ourselves for eternal life isn't just wishful thinking or a genetic misfiring. It proves that eternal life is a reality. Lewis writes this again uh, in his book, Miracles, uh, about Christ and his resurrection. He has forced open a door which had been locked since the death of the first man. He has fought and beaten the king of death. Everything is different because he has done so. This is the beginning of the new creation. A new chapter in cosmic history has opened. And the promise here in verse 31 is clear. By believing in this risen Christ, we can receive this eternal life too. All we need to do to receive this life is to believe in him. And we can do that with great confidence because of this reliable eyewitness evidence of Thomas and the other apostles recorded for us here by John and the other New Testament writers. So at the end of this uh, series of encounters with Jesus in John's gospel, why don't we ask for God's help now to put our faith in this risen Christ? Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that the Lord Jesus is risen from the dead. We thank you that he appeared to many eyewitnesses whose testimony has been faithfully recorded for us. So that today, 2000 years later, we can believe with confidence that Jesus is the risen Christ. And in the midst of whatever struggles, uh, sorrows, fears or, or doubts we're experiencing at the moment. Please lift our eyes to the glorious risen Christ who, because he is risen, has given us real hope for eternal life. And please, we ask, help us to put our trust in him. In his precious name we pray. Amen. <laughs>